You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Healthcare reform is a hot issue for the 2008 elections. Polls show that it is the third most pressing concern for Americans behind taxes and national security. How will the candidates solve the problem of healthcare in America? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Chicago is my guest, Dr. Charles Whelan, lecturer in public policy at the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago and author of the book, Naked Economics, Undressing the Dismal Science. Welcome, Dr. Whelan. Thank you for having me. Dr. Whelan, you've suggested that politicians should be prepared to answer the question, how should health care be rationed? I'd like to change the question somewhat to, who should determine how health care will be rationed? Will it be the government, private insurance companies, or the market? And I think the answer to that is everybody. No matter who you are, at different points in your life cycle, somebody or some combination of those parties is going to be determining what care you get because we've got this hybrid system where once you turn 65, you're going to move into the Medicare system. If you're indigent, you're going to be in Medicaid. If you are on private insurance, the government is actually giving you a little subsidy because it's tax-free, and the government's regulating with some relatively strict hand the benefits that can or can't be given to you. So most people, and I think this gets to the core why this is such a political issue, are looking at a system that has been kind of cobbled together over a half a century between government and the private sector using a lot of chewing gum and aluminum foil, and that's why it's so difficult to try and fix the system. Keeping that in mind, what would you say are the basic options for politicians for them to endorse when proposing health care reform? I think the things that people are looking for are broader coverage. So what are you going to do about reaching those folks who are uninsured, which is a much trickier question than it sounds like, because that uninsured population is not homogenous. You've got a lot of folks who simply can't afford insurance at any reasonable price. They're too wealthy to qualify for Medicaid, but not wealthy enough to pay for a reasonable benefit package that would be available to them as an individual in the market. And then you've got a group of folks who probably could afford benefits and may even have them offered at a job, but opt not to buy them. So the question is, all right, should we use coercion to get those folks into some health care plan? And so I think that's the uninsured population. The other thing that people are going to be looking for is some sense of security that basically they may have decent insurance now, but they know that lurking behind the next recession or something else is the prospect that they may lose their job and they may lose their benefits at the same time, or they may have kids who've just graduated from college and are going out and don't have benefits. So what can you do to make me feel more secure about my health coverage going forward, even though my situation's not bad? And then I think people are also looking for everything to become cheaper that can you do all this and can you save me money? Because as an employer or an employee, I'm just paying more and more for health care coverage. I'm not seeing a lot of difference in my care, and it's starting to squeeze me, my bottom line. Do you think it would be important for voters to ask candidates how much they think the government should be involved as the enforcer of rules or the provider of care? I think that's a fundamental question, basically, because in all of these reform plans, Government can play lots of different roles. You could have government defining what private insurers need to offer, and they could define up or they could define down. They could mandate more expansive benefits, as in the case of mental health care. They could require less expansive benefits. They could say, you know what, 
let's put together a kind of bare-bones Chevy Nova kind of insurance plan where you don't have to provide certain things, and that will actually make it more affordable. So I could actually see government being a mechanism for enforcing more of a Cadillac kind of plan or something that's more of a stripped-down plan that would make it more affordable. So I think that's one. Is Do you want government doing the benefits? The second is, who's actually providing the care? And again, there's a continuum there, too. You could have a system like the British system where Physicians are actually independent contractors paid by the government based on their caseload. They're effectively government employees, if not necessarily on the government payroll. Or you could simply have a system where government had played some insurance role and compensated the private sector for the services they provide, which is kind of the Medicare model. And so that also is an important question. So you've got basically on every dimension – You've got multiple questions, which is why I think this is such a complex topic. Mm -hmm. And after the political disaster of 1994, when the Clintons tried to change the American health care system, why is it back? Why is health care reform being discussed by politicians again? I think there are a lot of reasons. One is the system is just so expensive relative to the rest of the world. So everybody, every industrialized country is facing rising costs. And as best we can tell, what's driving rising costs is technology. And that's a double-edged sword. The good news is basically we can do a hip replacement. We couldn't do a hip replacement 30 years ago, and therefore you just kind of limped around. So it's more expensive than having someone just limp around. That's the bad news. The good news, though, is we can do wonderful things. So technology is expensive, but it delivers lots of care. The whole world's wrestling with that. In the U.S., though, we're basically spending almost double what other industrialized countries are spending. So somewhere in that system is a lot of waste because we're not getting better health outcomes. So people are looking at the expense. They're looking at the uncertainty that I alluded to earlier because in any other industrialized country, you could not fall through the crack as a middle-class person. Whether you lost your job or became poor, you would have the same health care coverage you had before. And so I think that combination of uncertainty and expense, and then for some people it kind of depends on where you fall on the political spectrum. They look around and say it's not right that we've got 40 or 50 million people who have no insurance at all. So that combination, I think, of factors is what's driving this discussion. For years we've heard stories of people going bankrupt, going without treatment, being denied treatment, and spending an unreasonable percentage of their income on health care. It seems like the current openness for change is also motivated by businesses looking to get away from being responsible for their employees' health care. How is the burden of responsibility for health care affected businesses in the U.S.? I think they're starting to really scream under the expense load of what they're having to face. You saw a little of that when Clinton tried to reform the system. Business was ambivalent about his plan. The approach basically was, we'll take a look and see. We're not going to be hostile out of the box. Small business was hostile to any mandate that would have required them to provide insurance. Big business, at that point, a lot of the automakers and steel companies that were facing just huge medical expenses were willing to look at some kind of system. But in the end, that wasn't enough for lots of reasons. I think now you've got the same forces. They're just bigger. You've got greater expenses. And I've heard more folks who run small businesses say we have simply got to separate the healthcare insurance function from the employment function, that we can't afford it any longer. And I think the last point that's becoming more, more and more pronounced is it's making it harder for people to start small businesses or do entrepreneurial ventures because they simply can't afford to buy insurance as an individual. So you get what this phenomenon that economists refer to as job lock, that basically it stultifies this entrepreneurial spirit, and that's bad. I mean, you shouldn't not start a business 
because you can't get insurance. You should start or not start the business because you've got a great idea or not. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Dr. Charles Whelan, lecturer in public policy at the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago and author of the book Naked Economics, Undressing the Dismal Science. While premiums have grown at a rate of five times greater than wages over the past five years and deductibles are up 50 percent, several of the publicly owned insurance companies continue to report net profits of over a billion dollars yearly. When businesses make profits like that, they can't be interested in reform. What role do you predict the insurance companies will play in trying to shape the political attempts at health care reform? Well, you know, when Clinton tried to do the reform, the insurance companies were big players mostly in trying to foil what he was doing. I think that the insurance companies are going to be at the table, and they're going to be very wary of any kind of plan that tries to either cut them out and to go to a single-payer kind of system, which would basically eliminate the private market as we know it for insurance. Obviously, you're going to fight that brutally. The thing they're also going to fight that's probably politically more likely is any kind of price controls, any kind of restrictions that forces them to do things that will be very expensive. So, for example, if you pass a law that limits their ability to preclude people who have exist pre-existing conditions, they're going to say that's really expensive. And so you're going to have the insurance company in the fight looking to basically protect themselves from things that would be massively expensive. If you want to control costs, they're going to argue, don't do it by squeezing us. Let's talk about transparency. That's something that a lot of politicians have have caught on to in terms of asking for transparency. How can the market even work well if people can't compare the costs of goods and services and choose freely? It can't, really. I mean, I think that's the bottom line, that if you're buying concert tickets on eBay, you can look where the seats are, you can see who's offering tickets, you can see what the price is. It's very easy to understand what you buy, and you buy the one that has the most attractive set of attributes. The same if you're buying or selling corn or anything like that. The problem is, well, there are multiple problems, but one is healthcare is not a commodity, and you're not going to go online and compare knee replacement surgeries. There are all kinds of subtleties in terms of quality and access and who you can get in to see. So I think even if, as some people have said, prices were more transparent, which is a big if because you've got different reimbursement rates and everything else, I think that would not be the solution for healthcare. It's not simply a function of making prices more transparent and letting people choose because this market is so much more clunky than markets that are simple, whether it's cars or corn or something like that. So transparency is always a good thing. It's not going to hurt. We certainly need to do, we can probably cut costs by eliminating a lot of the old-fashioned record keeping and sharing information better and so on. But I don't think that pretending that healthcare is like buying a car online, that we're going to basically get costs under control. Do you think it's politically advantageous for politicians to ask for personal responsibility from citizens, either in the form of taking care of their health or contributing financially in a direct or reasonable way to their own health care? It seems perfectly reasonable to me, but I have two questions. One is, why don't we take better care of ourselves now? And this one, I don't have an answer for it. I think it's at the core, though, of what's going on in the United States. I was in Canada speaking about the American health care system, and I said, you know, one of the big problems we have is people are grossly obese, we eat poorly, we don't do basic care, even those who are insured. And somebody said, well, would it help if we find people who didn't do these things? And my glib answer was, well, why would $200 make a difference 
when you're killing yourself? You know, why, you know, but I still can't answer that. So it's not as, as economists, we tend to treat people as if they're rational and smoking, eating poorly, being 50 pounds overweight. These are not rational things. They take an enormous toll on your life. I can't answer that. But obviously, changing those habits is crucial. And then the second question is, all right, suppose people don't do that and they're overweight, they smoke, whatever. What would be the appropriate remedy? Should we be fining people? Should we be allowing insurance companies to raise premiums? That gets very tricky. So in theory, yeah, I mean, this is a big problem and it's got to get better. How we get it better and why it's not doing it on its own, why people are acting so poorly in their own, you know, against their own self-interest, I don't fully understand. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Dr. Charles Whelan, lecturer in public policy at the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Whelan. Thank you for having me. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.